Brendan, <laughs> come share with us this morning. Fantastic. I just wanted to make it appear like I was coming from the congregation because sometimes people carry prejudice against drummers. And so I didn't want you to be thinking, you know, since when do we start letting drummers talk? Um, so if I sat down, I thought, then I can come back up. Good morning. Good morning. The theme of this morning seems to be that it's good to be in the house. And I've got a three-point message for you as well. So rest assured, it's going to be okay. We are uh, walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark over this whole year. And we've been doing that since the beginning of the year. And to give us some context from each section that we're preaching from, we, we start the message with somebody reading the whole passage which we're taking our message from. And then I'm going to pick it apart. So I'm going to invite Jordan up and he's going to read us through what we're preaching from this morning. Thank you. All right, so we're reading from Mark chapter 7, 24 to 37. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. She was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia. Jesus told her, First I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Now Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Fantastic. Let's thank Jordan. It strikes me that Jesus basically gave somebody a wet willy. Now, a wet willy is a term that we used in high school to describe licking your finger and then going up and sticking it in somebody's ear. Not a penis-related reference, okay? <laughs> a lot of you here thinking, I didn't think I was going to hear that word right up front in the sermon. Maybe you'd warm up to it. But that, let's be honest, that would be really weird. This prophet comes up to you and he's like, he's licking his fingers and touching your tongue and then sticking his fingers in your ears. Strange. But I feel like all of that would be forgiven when your hearing is restored. Am I right? And all of a sudden, after being mute, all of a sudden, now you can hear. I think miracles uh, can forgive a whole bunch of weirdness. If you get a miracle, I think you're willing to 
withstand some weirdness. So uh, we're going through a series at the moment called Think Outside the Box. This is the second message in this series. And this morning, I want to title my message, Be a Plus One Person. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, Be a Plus One Person. <coughs> that may not make sense to you immediately, but we're going to unpackage that over the course of this message. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I just want to cast a vision, though, for what we're talking about this morning. I am uh, one of three brothers. My father, my father and mother had three boys, and I'm the youngest of those three. Uh, my, the middle brother is Dominic, and the eldest brother is Robert. And, uh, and we used to go hiking a lot on the Heisen Trail as children. Every Sunday, each person on the rotating roster got to pick a family activity, and my parents would always, always pick Heisen Trail. And so we'd trek out in the van and get out and go on the, on the walk. I'd like you to imagine for a second that, that we're going on this walk and my parents are leading up the front and uh, they're not doing the correct bushwalking thing, one at the front, one at the back. And all of a sudden they turn around and they've only got one child following them. And they think, where's Brendan and Dominic? So, the th- okay, we, we should go backwards because we've lost two of our three children. And so... they've turned back, they're going back where they come, they're calling our names, they're looking in all the bushes on the side and and they're saying, Dominic, Brendan, that for hours they're searching. Finally, they find Dominic on the side of the road and they think, thank goodness, thank goodness, we've rescued one of our sons. All right, now let's reassess. We'll keep looking for Brendan for a bit. So they keep, they're walking down the road. Uh, Brendan! Brendan! And, uh, and the sun's starting to go down. Everyone's hungry. Robert, who I didn't always get along with, was like, I think maybe we'll call it a day. And they're saying, and they're saying, oh, it is getting dark. What do you think we should do? Well, we've got two of three. You win some, you lose some, right? Let's go home. That would never happen. Right? Can any parent testify to the fact that that would never happen? You would continue to search until you knew for sure that your child was either found or lost forever. (laughs) We got the better two. We'll leave Brendan in the woods. No worries. That would never happen. The Bible talks about people who are far from God as being spiritually lost. And so this is the kind of analogy that Jesus uses when he talks about how God feels about his lost children. So when it comes to us reaching out to people who are far away from God, we can't afford to have the attitude of, well, you win some, you lose some. Because that is certainly not how God feels about lost people. If you're a believer in Christ, I believe that you are divinely appointed And you are deliberately placed in the lives of people who are far from God to help them find the path that leads to the fullness of Christ, the fullness of life with Jesus. But here's here's what happens. Mostly, we know that God's desire is that everyone would be saved. Some of us uh, recognize that we have a part to play in that. Many of us fall into this trap. We look at some people and we see how far away from God they are. And we think to ourselves, they are too far gone. 
they're too far gone. If there's a path that leads to relationship with Jesus, they're not even on the path. They're too far gone. They're off the, if there was a scale, they're not on the scale. They're, they're a lost cause. That's what some of us fall into the trap of thinking. So I want to ask you this morning, who in your life do you think is unsavable? Who, who do you think is too far gone? It could, be, it could be a spouse. It could be, not, not you, sweetie, I think you're doing all right. It could be somebody in your family. It could be someone at your workplace, a friend that you've had for a long time. It could be the relation, their, their lifestyle that makes you think that they, they won't come to him. It, it could be their personality. Maybe it's their intellect. <clears throat> Some people we think, oh, they're too smart for God. And then other people we think, well, they're not smart enough. So where are you? how smart do you need to be? Maybe it's their attitude towards spiritual things that you think discounts them. That, per- that person, those people, can you in any way imagine them giving their life to Christ? What would that be like for them? Some people it's really hard to imagine, am I right? Has anybody got somebody in mind, someone in their world that they can think of? And you think, hmm, I think I think they're too far gone. Here's what I think we need to remember. You were a sinner once as well. You still are, let's be honest. But you were far from God once as well. And yet you received grace. Up until the day that I gave my life to Jesus, I was deliberately disrupting Christian conversations about the Bible. I was going to Bible studies, trying to get them to talk about anything else. And then I encountered Jesus. And a day later, I had a completely different attitude. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, was going about his business of killing Christians, and then he encountered Jesus, and his life has turned upside down. So that's just setting the stage for what we're talking about here this morning. Let's pray. Holy God. Father, we thank you that you love your kids so much. We thank you that we are some of your kids here in this room. We thank you, God, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. We pray, God, that you would help us open our eyes and believe again for the people in our worlds who are far from you. We pray that you'd help us to see them afresh in a way that gives us hope. Remind us, God, that we were saved from the darkness as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at this scripture. (coughs) A little bit of background. So it it starts with this. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. Here's what I love about the Bible. If you open your iPad or your iPhone and you just open the Google Maps thing, you can just type in Tyre. Because it's talking about real places. Sometimes you've never heard of it and you think, I don't know where that is. So, okay, so here's the first map that you get, just maps.google.com. So that's like the Middle East over on the right there, Africa down to the southwest. Uh, northwest is, is, of course, Europe, uh, and Asia is to uh, the east. So we're going to zoom in now to the next image, if you can, person on the screens. So now we're just punched in on the right-hand side, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. Just giving you a bit of context here. So you've got Israel, of course, where the Israelites are now and were before. 
uh, but weren't always before World War II. So uh, Lebanon to the north, we have a Lebanese person in the house. Give me an amen. Hello, she just gave me a wave. Never mind. Uh, Syria to the, to the east and Jordan to the east. You've got Egypt down, <laughs> very good, Egypt down the bottom, Cyprus and Turkey. And Greece up to the top left if you're a European fan and you want some context. Now we'll zoom in to the next map, which is uh, back in Jesus' time. So, so Phoenicia now is now currently modern-day Lebanon. So Phoenicia is Lebanon. And you'll see Galilee is part of <coughs> where Israel was before. Syria is still up to the right. And you've got the Sea of Galilee, which you can still find on your Google Maps because it's still there. So Jesus in this story is doing the number four trek from Capernaum up to Tyre. Tyre is a, uh, a coastal city where the Phoenicians, Phoenicians were great traders. They had a port city and they uh, had a lot of the southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's a wealthy city, but it's actually a Gentile city. So it's not a Jewish city. He's left the place where most of the Jews are and he's gone north to Tyre and then up to Sidon where, and then back down where he does the uh, wet willy. <coughs> so he's gone up to Tyre and he's met this woman here. <coughs> how good is it to get a bit of I love images I love to get a bit of context oh it's a real place he's gone there okay so he says this he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in but he couldn't keep it a secret so what is he doing there he's, he's walked about two days according to Google Maps you can't get directions from one to the other because it won't let you walk across the border from uh, Israel to Lebanon but if you just go to the border and then from there it's about two days walk so Jesus I'm assuming he walked at the same speed Google Maps calculates at it's about two days walk what is he doing there he obviously hasn't come to minister to the people of Tyre because he's trying to keep his presence a secret uh, he's gone somewhere to a Gentile city where people are less likely to recognize him and so <clears throat> it's as if he's come somewhere to escape the ministry to spend time with his disciples we think it's basically this. He's basically going on a leader's retreat. So he's got his ministry and he's getting his disciples. He's like, guys, we're going off to another city where no one's going to recognize us. We can spend some good, decent time together. He's going on a leader's retreat with his disciples. And it says, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. So he's trying to get time away and all of a sudden someone comes along again. This reminds me of when I used to work in retail. Has anyone worked in retail before? So you, you, you close the doors, you take all the stock out of the displays, the money out of the cash registers, you start your end-of-day staff meeting, it's getting dark, and then you hear... Hello? Are you still open? Obviously not. If you're knocking on the door saying, are you still open, chances are we're not open. I used to work at a seafood shop in the central market, and that's exactly what would happen. People would come up and they'd start knocking all the fishes away. There's no money left in the tills. There's not a lot that we can do for you. There was this one girl who used to work with us called Chrissy, and Chrissy was a real stickler for the rules. And so if we closed at 5.30, 5.30 on the dot, the doors were closed. And if you wanted to get fish for your family or whatever, it's a no-go if Chrissy's on. So she's locked the doors, 
And we're all there packing the fish away. And you hear, hello, I just need... I just need one kilo of prawns. Please open the door. It's our family Christmas lunch and we desperately need... And Chrissy would be there and Chrissy would be like, nobody look at them. Don't look at them. Just keep going about your business. Don't look at them because if you look at them, then you'll feel bad and you'll go and open the door. Don't open the door. Okay, mop, but only mop that side of the building so you don't have to look at them. Everyone just wait until they go away. Chrissy was a real stickler for the rules. It looks like the disciples are a little bit like that because the same story is recounted in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 to 24. Uh, and the woman comes to Jesus the same way. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She really needs those prawns. Uh, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him, send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Jesus, don't look at her. Don't look at her. If you don't look at her, she will go away. Her daughter is in real trouble. She's possessed by a demon. Uh, that's bad. If, I don't know if you think that's bad. or I would say on a scale of bad to good, that's bad. Uh, It looks like the disciples and Jesus, they're going to pass her by and you won't believe what happens next. A little bit of clickbait for you there. You ever seen those articles on Facebook? This dog walks up to this man and you won't believe what happens next. There are three things that we can learn from this story to be more effective in reaching people. Here's my three points. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Don't pre determine don't predetermine there's a lot of debate about whether or not god already knows who's going to give their life or not and whether or not he does i think is largely irrelevant because we don't know and so it doesn't really doesn't really uh, do us any good to spend time thinking about well they're not they're obviously not in the book and they're in the book and so i'll just decide you don't know and i don't know so we should assume that everybody is a good candidate and act accordingly. Matthew fifteen twenty three. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. <coughs> Why did they say that? The disciples know that she is a Gentile. She, a Gentile is just a non-Jew, someone who's not a Jew. So the disciples figure she is a waste of time. The disciples figure she's off the scale. The disciples figure she is too far gone, like the people that we talked about earlier. You see, they're looking at her background, at her upbringing, her lifestyle, and they decide, no, there's no way. There's no point. Jesus won't want to save her. Haven't you done that to people in your life? That's a rhetorical question, but I'm just going to leave it hanging because I know that I have for people in my life. We've, we've said to ourselves, they are too far gone. It's ironic that these disciples are going to become leaders in the early church because in a few years from this time, God's going to speak to them and say, hey, those Gentiles, fair game. I want you to go back to Tyre, plant a church and reach the lost. And so here they are trying to turn her away. <coughs> if I asked you the question... 
Who are you reaching out to? Some people find that really difficult to answer. Uh, they don't, people, people say, well, I don't really know any non-Christians. I don't, uh, there's not that many people in my world. The truth is, non-Christians are everywhere. They're actually everywhere. Have you noticed that? They're not difficult to find. <coughs> so who do we think is qualified to come to Christ? Or who do we think is unqualified? Who do we think is likely? Who do we think is unlikely? I think we should stop thinking about it. I think we should reconsider our friends and our family, our workmates and our classmates. This little girl who's got the demon, imagine that she goes to school with with your daughter, right? So you have a daughter and every day you take your daughter to school and there's her playmate who has a demon. She acts a bit differently to the other children and it's not very pretty. Based on her behavior, <clears throat> you would think to yourself, she's too far gone. She's not even on the path, right? But then one day she turned up to school and she's totally different. And she says, Jesus healed me. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. The same thing happens today. Maybe not a demon, but Georgia. <laughs> Georgia would come to church, 12 or 13 years old, and she would sit as far back as she could, as she was allowed, and she would sit there defiantly. <laughs> she would cross every limb in her body and just glare at you from the seat. Everyone else stands, she sits. I'm not having a bar of this. I'm not having a bar of this. And today Georgia was leading worship. But maybe you would have looked at her at the time and thought, hmm, too far gone. Our own pastor, Pastor Vicky, many years ago, if anybody brought up religious topics around her, the hand would go up and she would say, I don't want to talk about that. Even if they weren't trying to talk to her, if they were just talking amongst themselves, she would remove herself from the conversation. I dare say that if you were friends with her at the time, you might have thought to yourself, she's too far gone. She's now the senior pastor of a church. Chris Young, my friend Chris Young, he, he, was, he tells me that growing up in China, he was taught repeatedly, there is no God. There is no God. You can't believe in God. There is no God. And yet he's sitting here because the first time he came into the presence of the God, he was like, something here, think there might be a God. I'm going to ask him to come into my life. I think God has different plans than what maybe we sometimes see. You never know the journey that God will take people on. So if you look only where they are <clears throat> when they're far away from God, you won't be able to see them coming close to God. So the first thing we need to do is not predetermine. The second thing we need to do is think outside the box. Mark chapter 7, 27 to 30, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, she replied. Sorry throw it to the dogs she replied that's true lord but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates good answer he said now go home for the demon has left your daughter when she arrived home she found her little girl lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone it sounds a little bit offensive for him to call her basically tell a story in which she is the dog in the story um 
But actually, she doesn't take any offense. So it could be that it just, the way he said it, just wasn't offensive. Or maybe she just chose not to take offense. That would be a miracle in itself. I think the English language gives us a great tip when it says you take offense. So that means something's put out there. To be offended, you have to take the offense for yourself. It's your choice and your action. So she doesn't take offense. Instead, she says, well, uh, she says, that's true, Lord. So she's agreeing with his analogy in which she's the dog. And she says, even the dogs under the table are allowed some scraps. So she's saying, whatever you think, just give me something. (coughs) So just a really quick context. Uh, Jesus came first for the Jews because the Jews were God's people, the Israelites. All throughout the Old Testament, they are his people. He is their God, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. And so it makes sense for Jesus to first come to them. He's a man and he can only be in one place at one time. So, of course, he's going to go there and minister to the Jews. But we know that God then opens salvation to the Gentiles. Is anybody Jewish here in the house this morning? That's what I thought. So that means that all of us are Gentiles. So now God's salvation and the gospel is accessible to us. Can you high-five your neighbor? Say well done (laughs) for being a Gentile and thank God for his grace. (coughs) So here's an example uh, of a faith-filled petition moving the hand of God. If she hadn't come to Jesus, let's imagine that for a second, probably would have taken about five years for the turnaround, for God's plan, for Jesus to die, rise again, set up the church and send the church out and for them to reach where she was at. So her, her daughter probably would have been uh, possessed by this demon for another five years, then possibly set free. But here, she's basically fast-tracking a miracle. Has anybody ever wanted to fast-track a miracle? She does it through faith, perseverance, humility and just asking Jesus and pursuing that. You could fast track a miracle for somebody in your life. So how can we be more like this woman? Have faith. Believe again. Change what you see in the people around you. If she can fast track a miracle for her daughter, what's stopping you from fast tracking a miracle for the people in your life? We were at Presence earlier this year and J. John was preaching. J. John's an English canon from the Anglican Church and he was talking about how he has a list of people, 30-something people, of, of unsaved people in his life that he's connected to. And every day he, he prays for those people and he prays for their salvation. And when, as they get saved, he ticks them off and adds other people to the list as they come into his life. <coughs> I was inspired by that. So over the week of presence, I started making my own list. I started thinking about all the different areas in my life, my work. Uh, we've just moved into a new apartment building, so I added the people whose names I know on our staircase and uh, people in, in my friendship circle, family, in, connected to our connect group. It's basically anybody that I have a relationship with who doesn't know Christ. And as I was making this list, it was actually quite confronting because I had to ask myself, if I'm going to pray for these people... Do I really believe that they're going to come to Christ? Or do I believe that they're too far gone? Is there hope or is there no hope? 
And I had to make a decision. If I'm going to pray for them, I need to believe that I'm actually going to play a part in leading them to Christ. So I'm at presence and God's talking to me about all this stuff. <coughs> and he's talking to me about people that I've started to discount in my life saying, well, I don't think it's been a lot of years. I don't think anything's happening. But he, get, he started to give me ideas about how I could reach out to them. People in my family, my close family, who I know have things going on in their life. And God started to speak to me and say, hey, if, if you believe that I'm a miracle working God, what's to stop me doing a miracle for them and being alive and real in their life? And I had to pick my faith up again and begin to believe again. Sometimes I think we make excuses for that, those people and we say, oh, well, we don't want them to come to Christ just because God did something for them. Because then, have you ever thought this? You're like, oh, like if, if I just pray for them to be healed of something and then they get healed, then they'll be like, oh, God healed me. Thanks, God. Off I go. And, you know, you want them to come to a relationship and know that in that relationship, they can be, maybe I'm like picking it. What do you, what's the expression? Clutching at straws. But I realize that's totally wrong. That's all that happens in the gospel. As we've been going through Mark, what keeps happening? People come to Jesus and they say, I need your help. I need your healing. I need you to cast out this demon. I need you to do such and such for me. I need, we need you to feed people. They just have needs. And what does Jesus do? Every time he meets their needs. So why, wouldn't, why can't we pray for miracles in the lives of the people in our lives so that they would come to see the miracle working power of our God? And I was a bit challenged because I thought, well, I'll go the middle ground. Because I don't want to do the anonymous prayer. If you've got a, a life-threatening or if you've got some kind of illness or whatever, and then the next day you wake up and you just don't have it anymore, you'll think, well, that's a coincidence. And you'll just keep going about your life. I didn't want that to happen. So I had to go home. I have, I have breakfast, breakfast with my brother once a week. And so we sat down at the breakfast after presents, and I said, look, um, uh, so I just got back from this conference. And at the conference, there was a, a video testimony of a woman who had breast cancer. Her body was riddled with it, and she was terminal. They gave her two years to live. Uh, she was believing for a miracle, came to presents. The week before, she, she was terminal. And then a week after after feeling like God spoke to her, said, I'm going to give you that healing. A week after, she went back to do the scans. And she's doing the scans, and they do the scans twice. She thinks they're just being really thorough. Turns out they're not just being really thorough. They're trying to find the cancer, which is completely gone from her body. And so I said to my brother, well, this stuff happens all the time. I keep hearing stories about this stuff. So I may as well pray for your thing as well. So I just thought I'd sort of let you know that so that you know that I'm praying for you. <laughs> so that way, now if he's healed, he'll be like, ah, oh, maybe that's because Brendan was praying for me. And he turns to me and he says, hmm, sure, thanks. He says, have you ever heard of Pascal's Wager? I said, no. He says, Pascal's Wager is a 16th century philosopher who basically came up with this idea that 
if there's not concrete proof that God exists, but there's not enough concrete proof to rule out the fact that he exists, and you've got the choice whether you believe or not. This is my brother who I thought was just hardcore atheist. He says, well, in that scenario, you should choose to believe. I said, oh, that's interesting. He said, because the, the ramifications of not believing in its, and it being true are too costly for the reverse. If it isn't true and you do believe, the cost is min- uh, minimal. If it is true and you don't believe, the cost is very high. It's called eternity. And so he said, that's Pascal's wager. I said, okay, good. That sounds agnostic to me. And I thought I would put him in the atheist category. So in my mind, he's just taken one step forwards. And I'm going to keep doing that. Here's my point. We need to start thinking outside the box. We need to have faith and petition God. And we can bring a miracle and bring it forward in time. My third point is this. We need to be a plus one person. We're going to skip forwards in time, back in time from where we are now, forwards in time from where we were earlier. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 6. It's the Apostle Paul who's writing about his travels in the days of the early church. It says this. After saying farewell to the Ephesian leaders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. Incidentally, that's where Kos lettuce comes from. I googled that. I was going to make that as a joke. Turns out it's actually where cost letters come from. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. Phoenicia sounds familiar. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbour of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. Here's the next bit. We went ashore found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, so there's a congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. In the book of Acts, there's no prior mention of a church being planted in Tyre. And yet here Paul is, he's coming to Tyre and he's finding local believers. So it's, it's an indication, one, that the book of Acts doesn't give us every detail of the early church's activities. But two, it's possible that that church, the disciples who were there in Tyre, originated from when Jesus first visited that city. It's also possible that those disciples were preceded or started by a woman who had the guts enough to petition Jesus to say, set my daughter free. She experienced a miracle and began to share the miracle working power of Jesus, this man who came to town. So here is a woman who had an eternal impact in the lives of those around her by her faith, her perseverance, her character and her pursuit of God. Other people were moved closer to Jesus because of her life and her faith. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to be able to say that their life 
has an eternal impact on the lives of those around them. That their faith, that their character, that their pursuit of God influences the people around them in their world. Our pastors do, which is awesome. It reminds me of something which we've been talking about in Connect Group, uh, which is plus one. So be a plus one person. Plus one, we've been talking about how everybody is on a journey. And, and there's a kind of a, a point where you cross, which is that you start to put your faith in Christ. But you might be kind of, if from that point, you might be kind of minus 10. You might be like plus 20. You might have done it a long time ago and have matured in your walk with Christ. You might be minus 100. The point is that we're called to be plus one people that lead others in plus one moments. So plus one moment could be anything. It could be praying for somebody. It could be sharing your story. It could be asking them about their story. It could be uh, teaching them something or not teaching them something, just listening to them. Whatever it might be, it's something that moves them one step closer to relationship with Christ, one step closer to Christ. Because you can still have a plus one. You're, you're plus 20, you can have a plus one moment, plus 21, where you come closer to Christ. A plus one person is like this woman whose life, the way that you live, the things that you say, the way that you act, the example that you, sh- that you give, you cause plus one moments in the people around you. Everything you do, everything you say, causes others to come closer to Christ. <coughs> so this is what I was thinking about as I'm praying for my list of people, and I'm just praying that people would move plus one plus one towards Christ. I've got my list. I'm praying over that. <coughs> I've got about like 24 people on there. And there's a lot of people on there that I was like, I wouldn't normally pray for them. One of them was somebody, a woman that I work with. And I knew some of her background. She had some mild Christian background. But she was, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know what that's like, right? Mild Christian. A mischian. Um, <coughs> but she'd been completely put off uh, since spending time with her husband whose family uh, come from a Mormon church and she's just put right off uh, as a result of that. And so the conclusion that she came to was, well, we don't need religion anymore. We've got science now, so we'll just put our faith in that. And so we're driving along together, myself, my business partner, and this woman who we work with. We're driving to go and look for some locations for a film. It's quite a long drive, so we get talking. Something comes up about a ghost or something, her friend, something, I don't know. It was, it was not a great segue, but I thought to myself, I have an opportunity. And I've noticed that when you pray for people, you notice the opportunities more than when you don't pray for them. Because if that morning, if you're saying, God, please give me an opportunity to share, to share with people today. That person, whatever it is, help me to, to, to give them a plus one moment. When the opportunity arises, you're going to oh, there's an opportunity. So she's talking about something about a ghost. And I, says, I just say, yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely darkness out there, isn't there? And she says, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. So I said, Tip number one, always dub your friends in first. I said, Simon, have you told her your demon story? Simon so got what? 
And straight away she says, tell me a demon story, Simon. Okay, here we go, telling the demon story. So we don't, we don't know what this woman believes about whatever, but we just figure, well, you're going to share some stuff. So Simon starts telling the story about a guy in his youth ministry who was really down uh, one day, and he was talking to him with another one of his leaders, and he was saying, yeah, I just... And they're just trying to help him because he's not feeling great. And he just starts saying things like, do you guys ever feel like you're like a sponge? And the sponge is like, it's full of like black tar. And it's just full. And they were like, not really. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So he's talking, talking about this. So okay. And then he starts to tell them, a story about when he was younger. He was at home alone. Most of the lights were off. He'd watched something like about the fuzz, on the white fuzz on the TV. And it was late at night. He's walking through the house. It's dark. And then all of the hairs go up on his body. And he turns around and there's like a, uh, like a black figure cloud thing in the corridor with him. But as he's telling Simon this story, he, he starts to struggle with his words. So he's saying, there was a... And, he's, so he's, and he starts doing this. So there's a... Simon's like... It's not really normal. Alrighty, what, what was it? Simon's not one to exaggerate. So there's a... They're like, all right, okay. So I think we're going to pray for you now, they said. So they begin to pray for him. Uh, the other leader gets a word of knowledge to just tap him on the stomach. Every time he taps him on the stomach, he goes, like this. Bizarre. So anyway, they pray for him three something times. And after they've finished praying... He looks up and Simon says his eyes look completely different. And he looks up and he says, I've never felt so free in all my life. The next day, Simon's thinking, I don't know what this poor kid's going to be thinking. So he goes up to the kid. He's like, are you all right? Is everything all right after last night? And he says, what happened last night? He doesn't remember any of it. So let me take you back. We're sitting in the car with this woman who we have no idea what she believes and I'm filling in the details for Simon which he's forgotten and <clears throat> telling this demon story. And she's like, yeah, I believe in that stuff, hey. We said, D do you? She said, yeah, because when I used to live back where I came from, there was a, I had some similar experiences. She said, I was going to make a film about a woman who wrote a book about demon possession, about how she was possessed by a demon. And I said, okay. So, so I went to visit her to go and get the rights to make the book into a movie. And I said, okay. So she, she got rid of the demon, though. She said, ah, oh. yeah, she must have, because she became really successful and she's got lots of money. And, um, you know, I was like, okay. So she tells this story about how she goes around to this woman's house to go and meet her. She walks in the room, and the woman 
walks forwards to greet her, and as she's walking forward, all of a sudden she's thrown backwards without touching this lady, and then she looks up and she says, no, there's a light on you that won't let me touch you, so uh, we can't do this movie. And I said to her, so she didn't get rid of it then. It's still on her. (laughs) She's like, oh yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense. Then she says, I also remember being in my bed at night and all of a sudden I feel this pressure on my chest as if somebody's kneeling on my chest and I can't breathe because it feels like something is kneeling on my chest. She said, you know the only thing I could think to do was to pray the Lord's Prayer. So I started praying because I'd learnt it in my childhood. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. She said every time I prayed the prayer, the weight started to lift off of me until I prayed louder and louder and louder and all of a sudden my mum comes into the room and says, what are you screaming about? She's lying on her bed screaming the Lord's Prayer. And she said, mum, it's okay. It's gone. We said, okay. She said, yeah. I think I believe in that stuff, hey. So yeah, well, it sounds like you've had some personal experience. And then she said, I think my problem is just organized religion. I don't like organized religion. And you know what I, th- I thought? I thought I'll leave it there for today. Because that's the beauty of a plus one moment. You don't need to get them from minus 100 to plus 1,000 all in one conversation. All you need to do is take people one step closer to Christ. Disciples make disciples. Being a plus one person is to be a disciple maker. In our relationships, whether the other people are believers or they're not believers, we make disciples by leading others one step closer to Christ. Can I get the band to come? Why don't you stand with me here this morning? I want to pray for us here this morning that we would become plus one people. I want to begin by asking you to think about people in your world who are far from God. Maybe you want to think about different areas of your world. Think about the people who you know in your workplace. Why don't you just close your eyes as you think about these people. Bring them to mind, see their faces. Maybe it's people beyond your workplace but in your industry. Maybe it's people closer to home, in your family. Maybe your immediate family, maybe your extended family. Think about those who who you have a relationship with. Maybe it's somebody in your friendship circle. Maybe you study, maybe it's somebody, or maybe there's people in your school or in your university that you have a relationship with. Maybe there's people you're connected with in church through Connect Group. Why 
Maybe like me, you live in an apartment building or somewhere close to others and there's the people in your neighborhood that you have relationship with. Why don't you lift your hands to heaven? Let's pray for these people right now. Holy God. Holy God. Father, we lift up these people to you right now. We thank you that your will and your desire is that they would come to know you and be raised to the fullness of life with Jesus. Holy God, we ask you to open our eyes again to see potential in people, that we wouldn't discount people, that we wouldn't say they're too far gone. God, help us to believe again, to believe again, to believe again. Thank you, Lord. You are rising faith on the inside of us. You're helping us. You're giving us ideas about what it is that we can do to reach those people. Thank you, Lord, that you are pouring into us the spirit of a plus one person. That we might reach people wherever they are. Help them come closer to you, God. Thank you, Father. Pour out your spirit right now, God. We pray a fresh anointing on every person here. A fresh anointing to be a plus one person. A fresh anointing to be a disciple maker. A fresh anointing to reach those in their world who are far from you, God. God, we pray for an outpouring of courage upon our people right now. Thank you, Lord. Holy God. For I know the plans and purposes that I have for you, says the Lord. They are for good and not for evil. Plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. God has not forsaken those people. He loves them. He thinks about them. He created them. He thought about them before they were even born. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a future for those people. We thank you, Lord. God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your blessing and pour out your miracles upon these people that they may come to know you and the fullness of life with your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy God. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. Fantastic. Before we close, I want to do one last thing, and that is I want to give you an opportunity if you're here this morning and you want to commit your life to Christ, I want to pray a prayer with you that does exactly that, that asks Him to come into your life. And you might be one of a few different things. You might have never prayed a prayer like that before, and you want to do that this morning, or you, you might have prayed it in the past, but your life has taken a sidestep and moved away from God, you want to come back this morning. We'll pray the same prayer together. Or perhaps you just don't have confidence that if you died tonight that you would go to heaven. Can I just urge you with Pascal's wager, if that's you, you're better off betting to believe. So I just want to ask you to close your eyes across this place so people have some privacy. And I'm going to ask you, if you want to make that decision, I'm going to ask you in a second to put your hand up so I can see it. And we'll pray a prayer together to ask Jesus Christ into your life. There is no background. There is nothing you could have done. There's no 
character flaw or whatever that disqualifies you from having a relationship with Christ. He opened himself to every person. And so that's the offer that I'm extending to you this morning. I want to invite you to Jesus. If you've never done that before, if you want to do it again, or if you want confidence that you're going to heaven. So if that's, he, if that's you here this morning, if you're one of those three people, can you just put your hand up right now and say, show me your hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Awesome. You can put it down again and we'll pray together. Is there anybody else here this morning who wants to do that? Put your hand up nice and high so that I can see it. Is there anybody else? Fantastic. Awesome. You can open your eyes. What I want to do is, is uh, pray with that person. So I'm just going to ask you to do something brave. I'd love, I'd love to pray with you. If you could come down. Would you come down to the front with me and we'll pray together? You can bring whoever you came with if you want. Just turn to them and say, hey, can you come down with me? And we're going to clap you as you come. Why don't we give them a round of applause? Come on. Come on. We'll pray. We'll pray together. Awesome. That's so good. Hey, man. I'm Brendan. How you doing? What's your name? Joshua. Joshua. That's a cool name, bro. You can look at me. That's all good. These guys, a lot of people there. So, this is a special moment. Thank you so much for being brave, coming forward. Hey, why don't you just close your eyes? We'll make it real simple. Everyone's going to pray together, but you can just repeat after me, okay? And we'll ask Jesus to come into your heart. So, just repeat after me, dear Jesus. I'm sorry for everything that I've done that takes me away from you. I want you in my life. So I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. From this day onwards, I'm walking with you. Thank you, God, that I'm saved. Amen. Awesome, man. Good job. Let's congratulate Joshua. What a champion.